All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Esoteric Lighthouse, episode number 12, season two for us. Uh, tonight we'll be going over Lucifer, the Illuminati and the Age of Reason. It's not gonna be like anything you've seen or heard before in regards to these three different topics. So sit back, buckle your seatbelts. Welcome to Esoteric Lighthouse. We are a group of free and accepted masons from regular and recognized Masonic Grand Lodges focused on the esoteric, occult, and philosophical lessons found in Freemasonry. This being a public forum, our views and interpretations are not legal or official statements or opinions of any Grand Lodges or Masonic bodies. We hold a membership with all opinions and thoughts and interpretations are solely of the individual panelists. All right, Lucifer, Lucifer. This serpent refers to the rod of Elohim or Elohim that was delivered in his hand as it is written. And Moses said to Yahshua, choose us Anashim, go out and fight against Amalek. Moro, I am standing on the top of the hill and the rod, the serpent of Elohim in my hand. Exodus 7.19, And this serpent is the same rod that was created when the sun rose for the first time in his spine at the twilight of the Sabbath Eve and was engraved with the holy name of the divine shaping. So this rod of Moses symbolizes also a serpent or a tempter who as Satan was the cause of the captivity of the archetypes of Israel because of the bestial orgasm, the Zohar. Halayil glorified and translated into Lucifer, which is Latin word, which relates to light or Lucy, is the light and the fur meaning the carrier. From the word fur comes the English word fairy. So when you say Lucifer, you're addressing to carry the carrier of light, which is something very profound. This word is not addressing as what people think a certain personage or an angel that fell from heaven and that is controlling the nations of the earth because he was straight, he was stated the staff of Moses, sorry, as previously stated, the staff of Moses represents the serpent and the tempter who was unleashed and the plagues upon the people of the earth, which symbolized, which is symbolized in a biblical Egypt or Mizrahim in Hebrew. Lucifer continued, when someone is working with the Christification of himself with the fire of Lucifer or with the staff of Moses, which is the fire and light, Lucifer is related to Eros, the sexual potency. All rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the source where the rivers flow, there they flow again, Ecclesiastes 1.7. We have to understand that all those rivers that we are talking about relate to the fluids that we have in our orgasm, organism. That, that is 
what we're all connected to. These fluids or forces that enter the organisms are related with what we call Lucifer because all of them carry light from di different modalities. That's why the Zohar states, as the light passes from one to another thrown through the various channels between them, it becomes more powerful and stronger in its circularity course, similar to the blood in the veins of the body. Such in it is the region of on the high that gives rise to the to the light, to the seven different colors, which in their totality and blend constitute the great mystery and that unknown something termed light. There are also seven other different colors of light, which are then flowing together and thus become blended, form the great ocean of light, which then streams forth from the seven different outlets, the Zohar. What we're talking about here is sensation. Lucifer represents a type of sensation. The Illuminati. To be illuminated, is, to be illuminated, one is to be awakened, not to be asleep, not to dream. It is, it is rare to find someone who is awakened because this awakening happens slowly with degrees and it is working with the consciousness. The consciousness is before two paths. One path is for everyone where everyone sleeps and dreams as they know nothing. They know nothing of reality. The other path is one of the awakened ones. Those are the ones that state alertness and they are stating alertness and attentive. Those are the ones that are not sleeping. These are your Buddhas, your Jesus, your Krishna, etc. We will get there to that. Will we ever get to that level? I don't know, but something we should strive is something that we should strive for or in our lives. We within our lives, we only gain one quarter of an inch. Only only the person who has the totality of his consciousness is awakened and is true, is a true clairvoyant. This is an illuminated one, a Taria. To reach perfection, the soul must be illuminated. To reach illumination, the soul must be purified. These are the three stages which symbolizes, which is symbolized in every religion. First, we must pass through purification. Second, we must be illuminated. And third, we must be perfected. The age of reason. Reason is the capacity of consciously making sense of things, applying logic and adapting or justifying practices, institutions and beliefs based on new existing new or existing information. Reason is the opposition of sensation, per perception, feeling, desires as the faculty, the existence of which is denied by the empirist by which is fundamental truths and are intuitively apprehended. These fundamental truths are the causes or reasons of the derivative facts. According to German philosopher Immanuel Kant, reason is the power of synthesizing into unity by means of comprehensive principles. 
the con concepts that are provided by the intellect. That reason which gives the priory principles can't cause pure reason as distinguished from the practical reason, which is specially concerned with the performance of actions. A distinction between understanding and reasons as two capacities of the soul is already observant in ancient philosophy, understanding the power of reason, grasping, grasp of all rel relative, earthly, and finite, whereas reason, whose essence consists of setting of goals, discovers the absolute divine and infinite. According to Kant, the basic co cognitive function of the understanding is to provide the mental ordering of phenomena. Reason is using the resources of understanding which seeks to grasp things in itself. It cannot attain this goal, however, and remains with confines of understanding. For Kant, reason is only the able to operate upon the phenomenal world. He also sees that the phenomenal world as an epiphenomenon of reality. And so when we are reasoning within the bounds, we are, excuse me, we're only playing with the shadows. Understanding for Kant, like many esoteric beliefs, comes from the direct perception of truth. In other words, you cannot claim to have understood anything if you only hold one half of the picture. Here are my references. Uh, I used Encyclopedia Britannica, uh, one construction of esoteric traditions, then uh, Kant's account of reason, and also the Pritzker Zohar, volume three. All right, this concludes the presentation. Let's get to talking. All right. Sorry, I'm getting a little tongue-tied here. Uh, it's all right. Well, this, this is a very good uh, topic and discussion because um, first off, um, at some point in time, we have to come to utilize logic and reason and understand that a lot of these books um, that a lot of people focus their belief system around um, just does not equate in reality. And we have to understand that everyone, yes, has their own belief system and you're entitled to that, but you cannot allow your belief system to supersede reality. And if you can clearly see utilizing logic and reason that what you're reading from a particular book, no matter what it is, if it does not really work with reality, then it has to be something deeper to that belief system or those words on that page. Um, right. And it is said um, by H.P. Bavowski and several other people that the symbols of the wise have become the idols of fools. And Honestly, that's what's taking place. A lot of people are looking at the words on pages and characters and books in a literal sense versus in a symbolic sense to understand what is being conveyed to a people of ancient times and a certain cultural, uh, uh, cultural significance and in certain forms of traditions. 
those words and lingo that those people were using was known amongst themselves. Us two, three, four, five thousand years later are not accustomed to their form of lingo or their sayings or those slang words that they're utilizing to convey a message. Uh, I want to read something real quick, and this is going to be coming from The Secret Doctrine by H.P. Bavowski. Um, if you get your hands on this book, this is coming from page 70 of the first volume. It says, according to the Rosicrucian tenets, as handed and explained by the profane for once correctly, if only partially, so light and darkness are identical in themselves, being only divisible in human mind. And according to Robert Flood, darkness adapted illumination in order to make itself visible. According to the tenets of Eastern occultism, darkness is the one true actuality, the basis and the root of light without which the latter could never manifest itself nor even exist. Light is matter and darkness pure spirit. Darkness in its radical metaphysical basis is subjective and absolute light, while the latter in all its seeming and glory is merely a mass of shadows as in, I'm sorry, as it can never be eternal and is simply an illusion or maya. Even in the mind-baffling and science-harassing genesis, light is created out of darkness, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and not vice versa. In him, in darkness, was life, and the life was the light of men. John 1 and 4, a day may come when the eyes of men will be opened and then they may comprehend better than they do now that verses in the gospel of john that says and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not they will see then that the word darkness does not apply to man's spiritual eyesight but indeed to darkness the absolute that comprehendeth not, not um, transcendent light, however transcendental to the human eyes. Demon, es duess in veris, the devil is now called darkness by the church, whereas in the Bible he is called the son of God. See Job chapter 2. The bright star of the early morning, Lucifer, see Isaiah 14 and 12. There is a whole philosophy of dogmatic craft in the reason why the first archangel who sprung from the death of chaos was called Lux, Lucifer, the illuminous son of the morning or the magnificent dawn. He was transformed by the church into Lucifer or Satan because he is higher and older than Jehovah and had to be sacrificed to the new dogma. So those who understand the truth beyond 
religious ideologies understand language. And the simple fact is the word Lucifer is a Latin word that simply means light bringer or bearer of light. So understanding that word itself, then you have to understand in Genesis chapter one, when God is saying, where Yomer Elohim, where Yehi or where Yehi or, and God said, let there be light. That right there was the creation of Lucifer. That was the very first instance of Lucifer because the word Lucifer is just a Latin word that means light bearer. So God himself itself is the one that brings forth light and is the one that is the bearer of light, which then is the Lucifer. When you get beyond dogmatic superstition and fear, then you understand simple ideology, you understand simple language, and you understand what is being conveyed. You cannot have light without darkness. Darkness is absolute, as said here. And we know this. When we look at it, the night sky, it's dark. Only way you can see the stars is because of the darkness. When you close your eyes, you're in darkness. When you pray to God, you're in darkness. Everything takes place initially in pure darkness. You're born out of your mother's womb, darkness. Seeds are planted into the ground to create trees and herbs, darkness. Everything that exists in life and what we perceive as reality that we know is uh, science has proven to start, it's basically illusion or holographic. Everything is moving, all atoms are moving. But ultimately, all that exists that we see and realize as reality had to come initially from darkness. And this is why it says in the Bible, in Exodus, that Moses had to go far off into the thick darkness where God was. So we have to get away from this, uh, the spookism of thinking darkness is bad. And we have to get away from the religious ideologies that are honestly deceiving people because of ignorance of language. Once you understand language, then you will understand the symbols that the language is relaying, uh, relaying to the reader what is being said. Lucifer is used only once in the Bible, in the English translation, KJV. It is used once only in Isaiah 14 and 12. When it was used, it tells you in Isaiah 14 and 9 that this is a proverb, a metaphor for the king of Babylon. It is not telling you that there's a such thing as Lucifer as a fallen angel. That was a metaphor solely for the king of Babylon. So when you understand that, then you understand there is no such thing as a Lucifer angel that fell from heaven and that now has been transferred to the devil or Satan. Satan is a Hebrew word that strictly means adversary. It means nothing else but adversary. The devil is a whole nother creation by the church. There's no mention of a devil 
In the Hebrew text, there's no mention of a devil. In the Samaritan text, there's no mention of the devil. In the Egyptian text, there's no mention of a devil in any Northwest Semitic languages anywhere. That is a later creation. So we have to get away from the spookism and enlighten ourselves and come to understanding what words mean because meanings of words We'll see matter. if he wants to. He grown. Good job there, Brother House. So could I ask a question, Brother House? Yes, sir. Because I'm thinking about um, this is just a theory in my head, though. If we talk about the light bearer falling, right, could we possibly be referring to the fact that that potential energy fell into the root of man? Yes. Down by that sacral, yes. yeah, the sacral vertebrae? Yes, because we know in Eastern traditions, when we're talking about, say, India, for example, uh, and what is called kundalini yoga. And yoga just means that that word is a Sanskrit word that means union. And that union means the union of man and God. That's what yoga means. Um, and kundalini yoga, it speaks of utilizing certain postures and positions to activate what is called chakras in the body to energize an energy source from the root chakra all the way up into the seventh or the sixth to seventh chakra, which is in the mind. When you're speaking of the fallen of Lucifer, we look at the word light as a, a slang word or a metaphor for knowledge. So when the light fell, that is saying that knowledge fell from the upper chakra and fell down into the lower root chakra which in esoteric Christianity or esoteric um, Judaism, Zohar, Kabbalah, the lower regions of the body or the lower regions of the chakra system is considered Sodom and Gomorrah. And in those areas is where we are more in our animalistic nature. So in Kundalini Yoga, it is to rise your energy source or your knowledge, the light, back into the upper regions of the mind, which this is considered Keter, or this is where the Eye, or improperly translated, I am, exists. And this is when we understand the light is now anointing us inside the mind on the pineal gland and actually the oil from the olives in your brain because there are two olives in the brain and that is the olive oil that you are anointed with. It is not speaking of olive oil that you go get olives and put oil on your head. It's talking about the olive oil within the brain system that actually enlightens the mind and which turns on the right hemisphere of the brain uh, because we know that's where wisdom resides within the temple. So, yes, when the falling of man or the falling of Lucifer is result of that knowledge that man had falling into the lower regions of himself. And let me oh, that went down to the skirts of his garment. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> so let me go back to okay. let me go back to the slide deck. 
And this is exactly what I said and House just repeated it. He said the chakras and Kabbalah. This is directly out of the Zohar. I'm gonna say it again. As the light passes from one to another throne through the various channels between them, it becomes more powerful and stronger in a, its circulatory course, similar to the blood in the veins of a body. Such is the region on high that gives rise to the seven different colors, seven different colors. Those are talking about the chakras in their totality and blending constitute the great mystery of that unknown something termed light. Light. That's right. There are also seven other different colored lights, which on flowing together and thus becoming blended form one great ocean of light, which streams forth from seven different outlets, the Zohar. And see, what we have to understand is like what I was reading here, darkness is the only actuality. That's the only actuality. Everything else is really truly byproducts and illusions. But darkness itself is a unperceivable for our eyes, pure essence of true light. And uh, I don't necessarily like uh, using uh, movies and things of that nature for references, but when you think about uh, The Matrix, the third installment of The Matrix, when Neo got blinded and he had to put the hood wink on, and he then was able to see the real light. And he says, it is beautiful. It is, everything was light. But before that took place, he could not see that light. It was just darkness. It was dark. All the, everybody else, Trinity, Morpheus, everybody just saw shadow and darkness. But it was then when he saw that everything was pure light. So what we have to understand is, is our eyesight only sees a, a very minute spectrum of the light spectrum. And the parts of the light that we don't see is perceived to us as darkness when it actually is pure light. It is just, that's what it is, it's light. So we have to, we have to understand that it's things that we, we don't see, we can't perceive. And a lot of people out of their ignorance, they have made that into something spooky. Everybody's afraid of the dark. You know, kids, I don't want to go in that room because it's dark. The thing is, it's unknown. Things that are unknown become spooky. And because of that unknown, which ultimately is ignorance, you become afraid. So ignorance breeds fear. And fear then breeds superstition. And it's ignorance, superstition, and fear will cause because that is what keeps us at a lower state. And that's where reason comes in. That's right. That's where reason comes in. That's why you have to live in an age of reason. Why are these things happening? And try to get an understanding, gain an understanding of what that environment is in the darkness, in the light, whatever it is, try to figure it out. 
instead of being fearful of these things. This is what most of our society is doing. They're, they're, they're believing in myths and they're fearing these myths, but they're not researching these myths. We got to get past that. We got to go find out the who, what, when, where, and why and get to the reason. And then we develop a reason in ourselves on to believe in the things we believe, not to believe just because it sounds good. It makes my heart feel good. You know, it goes along with, it makes my day go by. Okay, something touchy-feely like that, is it really helping you or is it really hurting you? It's shadowing, it's creating more shadows for you. It's creating more yep. obstacles and roadblocks that you're gonna have to surpass to get down to the real you. You can't get to the real you if you keep putting up roadblocks. Hmm. You know, the, the beautiful thing about this is, you know, in a lot of our shows, we touch on um, different topics. And I'm sitting here chuckling because I remember like some of the first shows that we were doing, we actually touched on some of these things, you know, as far as darkness, you know, when, when I talk to people, I always have to let them know, and, and, and Brother House kind of hit this out the park, that when, when we teach light and darkness, it's just, that's all, all that is. It's a teaching tool. That's it. If you start to take that literally, you will get confused because as, as we said earlier, and we talked about this in the earlier show, I know I had brought it up. Light is nothing but it's, it's, it's energy that's moving within other energy. And from the disposition that we're in as human beings, it appears to be visible, but it's nothing but dark, it's darkness at the end of the day. And if you go back um, and you study the electromagnetic um, spectrum, you will find that visible light, and I use this pen right here, if this was the whole visible or the whole electromagnetic magnetic spectrum, light would just be a little, visible light would be just a slither here on this, on this pen. That, that's just how irrelevant light itself is when you look at the whole spectrum. But we get wrapped up into this light and darkness thing because I think since the, the beginning of time, they've always used it as a way of just teaching. But from a literal perspective, darkness, as Brother House said and some of the other brothers on here already said, darkness is absolute. That's what exists, darkness. And you find peace in darkness. Some of them, again, I was trying to think of what I was going to say. I was like, God, man, these brothers didn't hit it all. There's really nothing to, to really elaborate on. Uh, going back to, to uh, I, I used to say the people, I said exactly what Brother House said, was that when you pray, you go into darkness. When you meditate, you go into darkness. When you're in the womb, you're in the darkness. Darkness is where peace is at. The chaos exists in light. But somehow, it's been flipped on us. We tend to think of darkness as spooky. Oh, that's spooky. I'm not going in that room. <laughs> you know, it's too dark in there. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, darkness is where peace is at and tranquility, balance and harmony. And light is where the chaos takes place at. The, the perception of light, I would say, because light is, it, it's a perception. It's an illusion. It doesn't even really exist. And, and when everyone gets tired and ready to go to sleep, what do they do? They turn off the light. They turn off that light. <laughs> Matter of fact, some people can't even sleep unless they're in darkness. Unless you turn that I light. Yeah. <laughs> but light you turn them, them eyes closed. <laughs> but, but I like the light and darkness um, tool. It, it helps to get a person to a certain level. Once they're there, you can take them on to another level. But that light and darkness, it helps us 
kind of perceive things. But the problem is when you start taking it literal, I always use this uh, analogy of the birds and the bees. Uh, the birds and the bees is a beautiful system of, of uh, reproduction veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. The problem with that is that 100 years from now, if somebody reads the birds and the bees story and they try to think that we were actually talking about literally birds <laughs> and bees, it's going to cause confusion. Yes. I think that's what Brother House was trying to convey today. Lucifer, it was just a, this is a metaphor about a king and it's nothing spooky, but it, it was made to be spooky later on. It was taken out of context. And then when people reference it, then people will go back to what they know, the spookiness, the out of context rendition of it. And they'll try to say, well, that's what I'll, I'll go back and say, Albert Pike, I'll go ahead and say the dirty, dirty word here, right? <laughs> Albert Pike was trying to convey, he was not saying that we, we was wor worshiping some evil, dark type spirit. He was just using the term the best he knew how, because he had a few errors as well uh, throughout his, his works. The best that he knew how in his day and time he was trying to con convey, this is simply a term used for light. Yeah. And, and see, the thing, is, the, the thing is about the Albert Pike thing, if people read the whole, yeah. the whole sentence, he says, Lucifer, the morning, the, the star of the morning, isn't that a strange name mm -hmm. to give the father of darkness? Yes. It, it yes. was more of a rhetorical slap in the face. Like, if you understand what this word means, you would not correlate that with, with Jesus. Exactly. Or yeah. darkness. or Because the word itself means light. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, what, what people don't know, again, going back to the church, what happened in the church, you got two bishops. One of them named Lucifer. I forgot the other guy's name, but they got into an argument. And this is when they were transcribing the Bible. Mm. And he was like, oh, that's like me saying, hey, Charles, I don't like you. I'm going to put Charles in a book and I'm going to put Charles name in a book in a bad way. You know, <laughs> yeah. Everybody going to look at Charles and think Charles is the devil. Yeah. And, that's and exactly what happened? And no one ever questions why is a Latin word in a English translation of a Hebrew text. Mm -hmm. Say that again, brother. Real simple. We, we, we have to ask the necessary questions to get the necessary answers. Mm, and that's the, and that's the biggest thing. The church has convinced people don't question God. Well, exactly. The book is not God. The book <laughs> is a book. It's a book written by the hands of men. And because it's written by the hands of men, that book, as well as other books, have mistakes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if anybody just opens that book and reads the very first page of Genesis chapter one, the second page of Genesis chapter two, you will run into two major mistakes. One oh, mistake. Mean <laughs> yeah. And Genesis chapter one, well, the animals and everything was made mm -hmm. then Adam. Well, Genesis mm -hmm. chapter two, Adam was made and then the animals and then the vegetation. Something that oh, we, we well, can go there too, bro. 
brother house where we could talk about the fact that he named her Eve because she was the mother of all things living. Right. <laughs> so wait a second. How she come later, but she's the mother of everything. I don't know. But the beauty of it, if you understand the stories and what they're trying to convey, you know, some of the stories are not meant to be taken literal. And, and that's what's, you know, hard to convey to certain people who subscribe to dogma without questioning it at all. The, the, a lot of the writings, what's what stick to Genesis, these are older stories. They were, you know, if you go back to the, uh, the Gil, uh, I think it was the Gilman Epics, um, a lot of these different... Gilgamesh. There you go. Thank you, brother. These stories were borrowed from older stories coming from older cultures. And then once they came into a new culture, some of the names were changed. Some of the story flow has changed. Just kind of like when we tell stories. I might tell a story to a brother five years from now. He may choose to tell that story again. It may change slightly, right? But the overall message that these stories are trying to convey, if people would strip off the the parables and the allegories and, and the metaphors, they'll get to the truth or the root of what's being tried to uh, convey. But if you if you stay on the surface of these stories, you'll find all kinds of contradictions. I don't find I don't see the contradictions when I pull back the themes that are conveying these messages. When I pull them off, I see truth. But if I if I keep that veil there, I see a ton of contradictions. And that's what what people end up getting into debates about the contradictions kind of we just threw one of them out there now once one chapter there were the animals made first the next chapter the animals uh, were made second it appears to be some contradictions there they are. Um, and a lot of the uh, theologists out there have proven that some elements of Genesis come from different creation stories. And. Brothers, I once again, I thank us all for being here. And I'm sorry I joined in a little late, but I'm catching the whole conversation. And Brother Watson, in regards to what Brother House was speaking on, what we were speaking in the darkness and light earlier, and you said we touched on this before, yeah. I'm going to go back to, I, I believe it was our first segment that we did touch upon the light and the darkness. And as uh, Brother House put out, Latin, Lucifer in transliteration is the bearer of the light, the morning star. And I'm going back to what we were speaking of in our first episode when we were talking about light and darkness. And I hate to go here, but I'm going to go here. I'm going to quote Hebrews 11.1, which states, and uh, before I do that, I'm going to give a little context that uh, as Masons, Master Masons, we evoke deity before we partake in any undertaking, correct? Mm -hmm. So with that being said, Hebrews 11.1 1 states that now faith is the substantiation of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So let's elaborate on that a little bit more. In essence, faith is the substantiation of things hoped for. Key word is being hoped. Hence, it is the assurance, the confidence, the confirmation, the reality, the essence, the supporting ground of things hoped for, the foundation that supports things hoped for. Once again, hope. In our travels, we know faith, hope, and charity. Hope, once again, is also the conviction of things not seen. It convinces us of what we do not see. Hence, is the evidence or the proof not seen. 
So going back to that light and darkness statement, it's something that I had mentioned before. Faith is what you were taught in the light, but you don't experience until the dark. You have to go through the darkness in order to see the light. Darkness was omnipresent from in the beginning because according to text in the volume of sacred law, in the beginning was the word and the word was in the beginning. But the first, first thing that was spoken was let there be light. So clearly darkness was there before the light. However, darkness does not transcend the light because the light kind of cuts through the darkness but we have to go through it in order to experience and be able to speak of our, as brethren had elaborated on clearly before I jumped on, is we have to experience that darkness in order to see the light and say we've actually seen the light. You can't see something that you've never, you know, you've been veiled uh, in allegories, hoodwink, things of that nature, until that veil has been removed, you're still in the dark. But once it's been veiled, then we're able to see the light, and a light in our definition is the truth. So the truth has been revealed once that veil has been removed, and the darkness has been removed as we stand truly in the light. We were always taught growing up, let your light shine, things of that nature, because, you know, in my travels, I can only speak for myself, is that now I have a deeper understanding and meaning of let my light shine, is my light is now cutting through the darkness, and once I cut through the darkness, that veil has been removed, that hoodwink has been taken off, now I can see the light for what it's worth, and what it truly is by definition based on experience and what I've seen because that's what my faith is is based on the substance of what I've seen and what I've experienced and those are just my two two words and my thoughts powerful hey, brother Phil um could I brother Williams can I throw something out there real quick yeah I was just about to go to a question in the chat but you go oh okay um so essentially, and I know Brother House is going to appreciate this as well, when we use that name Lucifer, it refers to the morning star, as was mentioned. And that's the name for Venus. And we know that Venus, right, um, that's represented by that circle and the cross, but it also refers to the house of Taurus, right? So the house of Taurus, that sign Taurus rules over the throat chakra. Right? And when we dig into the Bible itself, that refers to Asher, right? And he had, he was, um, what, what do they say about Asher? That in Genesis 49, 20, says that alludes to plenty, right? Stating in that verse. So exoterically, we look at Taurus as being a house of decadence or, or pleasure. But esoterically, we're talking about the throat, the throat chakra corresponding to the power of the word. Right. Um, so it's, it's very interesting that we have Lucifer tied in to that. Now, the reason why Venus is called the morning star is that it precedes the sunrise by a few hours. Right. So it actually comes before the sun rises. And of course, we refer to Jesus as the son of God. Right. If we want to say S-U-N. 
right? So what, what are we saying about Venus? Since it's actually that light that is visible before him, right? And then also we can see it in the twilight hours in the evening. Well, if you look at Venus, the, the alchemical symbol for Venus, like you said, it's a circle and a tile cross. That circle and a tile cross is nothing but the Ankh, symbol of life, which is shaped like the womb of a woman. So before the morning star, she's the morning star. She's Eve. Eve is the light bringer. She's Lucifer. Yeah. Think on it. Oh, for sure. We, we, we on the same path, bro, because um, everybody always perceives Taurus the bull as a masculine energy. It's a feminine energy. Yes, it, All it the is. Way. Yeah. Let me hit on this question. We got a question from Brother Chris Leonard. He says, could the frequencies of light we can't see also be invisible? The frequencies of light, I mean, it's from my, from my experience and things I've researched, a frequency has something to do with a, a wave. That, that wavelength, those lines, it, yet they're invisible to our eyes because we're not attuned to that frequency. We'd have to be attuned to that frequency to be able to see that light. So of course it would be invisible to us on this plane or our wavelength or this, this frequency. So yes, it, it is invisible. You, you, guys, you guys will probably remember when I touched on this on one of our shows, I said that you guys have never even seen me in real time. We remember we talked about that in one of our shows that what, what you see is light. So what happens is you're, you know, going back to frequencies, let's say your light is a receiver and it's tuned to just certain frequencies. And so when light hits an object, it reflects off of that object, hits my eye, my optic nerve, and it goes in there, flips upside down, and then I, my mind starts to perceive what I just saw. So literally none of us have ever seen anything in real time, right? Because there's a slight delay there, a couple nanoseconds, milliseconds, or whatever it may be. And that's why you can't see anything in the dark, the so-called dark. When you cut the light out, when that frequency is gone, no longer vibrating in there, you can't see anything because your receiver, call your eyes, are tuned to certain frequencies. But the beautiful thing about all of this is your third eye is in tune with all those frequencies, right? These physical eyes of yours are limited. That's why all these different schools of thought, they talk about that, the cultivation of the mind, no matter what system you talk about. You know, you guys touched on chakras. Brother House said it earlier. The chakra system is the same thing. You start from the animalistic part of you that just wants desires and you rise all up. And the last thing he says, he said, your mind. At the end of the day, when you start to vibrate on, on with that third eye, none of these frequencies will be invisible to you. But as long as you're looking through these two eyes right here, then you're only tuned to certain frequencies and that's that visible light. There's a, a you just reminded me of a, a, a Jain slash Buddhist sealing practice that they did back mm -hmm. in the day, or, and people still do it, where they seal off all the orifices in their face mm. by putting your fingers and, you know, closing, putting your thumbs in your ear, then, right, you, right. and you just put your fingers under your nose, and then you take a deep breath, hold it for a couple seconds, and you just listen to the sound and see the colors as they reflect off of your eyes. You do that for about, or off of your 
what you perceive as your eyes, the colors you see. Right. And you do that for about 10 minutes and it's supposed to put you in a, to a kind of a clairvoyant state. Um, I've done it a couple of times and it makes you think a little different. It makes you, it, it, it changes your environment and your perspective. I'm not selling it, but you know, if you, you talking about frequencies and you know, come in tune with certain like certain things and trying to see different lights and different spectrums, try that. Yeah. And it's a common effect that goes along with it. And it's funny because that technique reminds me of the hoodwink. So uh, earlier we had a discussion on in a different group about the North being a place of darkness, that point of origin. So if I'm sure many of us can recall, uh, when we actually became Masons from that first interdependent degree, when you go back into your memory in the dark, you start to remember every time you saw a square and compass. You remember every time you saw a point within a circle, you start to become aware of what you discover in the darkness that now you're able to perceive that you've been made aware of light. So I think about how light only pierces through the first hundred feet or a hundred meters of the sea. And in that range, there's only so much to be found. But once you go down into the darkness, which is ever-present, omnipotent, there's so much more to be discovered. Look into the night sky. We see light because that's the visible light we're able to uh, see from the real stars light, starlight, the moon, the sun's reflection. But the further you go into that darkness, there's much more to be discovered. So for me, it is as though while we are aware of our senses, the light tunes those senses to make us more aware of what's to be found and discovered in the darkness. Just my little piece on it. And just something you made me think about is when you look at your, your body, you look at your head and with your, your shoulders and your torso, you got the east and west and your shoulders, then you go south, that's your lower region, then you go up north, that's in your head. You can look 360, well, not 360, but throughout your peripherals in every way, but you can and see other things a part of your body, but you can't do that with your head at all. You can't see the top of your head. That's real north. That's true north. That's the darkness there. And where do we go to there? We go to meditate. We go to pray. We go to think. You know, uh, all of these things that uh, bring inspiration, they come from the north, which is in our head. When we close our eyes and we sleep, that's where inspiration and everything comes from. That's north. And, and as long as, again, the the tools that we use, the light and darkness tools, they're good. Once you once you understand their tools, that's it. You know what I mean? Like I get it. Light is supposed to be truth. Darkness is ignorance. I get it. But these are just tools to help us start to uh, perceive uh, certain certain levels of awareness that that that's all those are and, and i think people get lost in those in those tools again they they really believe that light is some benevolent and then darkness is something malevolent but in in actual reality as we said here darkness is absolute the only reason we are even talking about light is because you're walking around in this meat suit called a human body and the receptacles the receiver uh, that allows you to see things is your eyes and your eyes are tuned to a certain frequency to be aware of certain things. It's just from a human's disposition that we're saying, oh, there's light out here. But all there is is absolute darkness. That's it. 
and and you make a valid point there, Brother Watson. And I want to expound and go back on what you had said earlier when we was talking about sight, the refraction of the eyes and the light. When that refraction hits the eyes or the retina of the eyes and we perceive what is light, all it is is a perception of a mirror image of what we call reality. Exactly. Or it's our reality. Your reality is different from mine as well as Brother House, Brother Williams, and all the brethren in L is when that light retracts and it bounces back, what we perceive to be the light is that mirror image of essentially us seeing ourselves in the light as we, you know, conquered the vastness of darkness. But if you still remain in the dark, because as Brother Williams had pointed out earlier, you know, him and yourself and us being military vets, uh, we put that infrared on, you see beyond things in the darkness, but them things that you see, it's kind of like that, you know, when you drive that car and it says objects in a mirror appear closer than what they are, yeah. it's a mirror image of what you reflect in the dark through that vision of the light. So it's from that point, once we perceive it or our perception, we have to make sense of it and define what that reality is because that's how we perceive it in the light. And, and all the different schools of thought, again, you know, I keep bringing this back to this thing. They talk about getting back to the mind, the third eye. It all goes back to that because in reality, and we talked about this in the early series as well, is we talk about five senses. You really don't have five senses. What you have is receptacles. These things receive things, but they're always are going to be uh, deciphered by the mind. So literally, the, when I get light from my eyes, it's going to come up into, into my mind, my brain, and, and it's going to be decoded. My brain, mine, however you want to call it, if you want to say they're synonymous, will tell me what I see outside. Hearing, I hear sounds will vibrate inside of here, but it's going to go back to the brain, and the brain has to tell you what you just heard. Same thing with touch. When I touch something, they can actually did, cert, uh, did in certain parts of the brain and you can touch all you want you won't feel anything so at the end of the day the one thing that keeps all of us attuned with our outside outside of us is the brain and some say the mind they use the brain and the mind synonymous i know there's a lot of debate about that when you're talking philosophy compared to science science always says where is the mind uh, science says there's a brain, but we can't detect this thing called a mind. Philosophy says the brain and the mind are synonymous. So I don't want to go down that road. If you want to call it the brain, that's fine. If you want to call it the mind, I guess for the sake of, of, of this discussion, I'll just keep call it the brain. But the ancient schools always got back to the highest aspect of our nature was up here. And I think Brother Williams, I came in a little bit late. Brother Williams had a slide up about reason. At the end of the day, I wrote something down that said reason is an opposition to sensation, <laughs> to sensation. So a lot of us, um, and I hear brothers say this in some of the Facebook groups, they say, get out of your feelings. <laughs> You're always in your feelings, right? And so at the end of the day, reason is supposed to be what guides us, not necessarily sensation or emotion, but our ability to reason. You touch something and the question is, did I really touch that? What did I really touch? Did it really feel that way? 
that is that is who we are at our highest the highest aspect of our nature we're questioning beings we doubt everything that's the reasoning aspect and for some reason the dogmatic schools of thought have deadened our ability to reason they have told us that it is a bad thing for you to use the greatest gift that the divine is ever giving us which was our ability to reason Got any questions for you, brothers? Well, you said a mouthful food right there, brother Watson, with that uh, leash. And uh, I put it in the uh, chat when I'm, when I'm listening to this, and I, I give you uh, kudos and props on this, brother Watson, mm -hmm. is in your book that you wrote the science of light. Yeah. Because it's a science. That whole light, once it's been transmuted through the darkness, it exposes everything, our, our personal beliefs, our spiritual beliefs, our emotional beliefs. And as you stated, Brother Watson, in our, you know, when we, you know, take them winding stairs, reasoning, logic, I'm going to reason with logic that this makes sense and this is an absolute truth. Because the truth is absolute, just as well as the dark. And, you know, our, it's not until our acceptance of the dark as well as the light that we won't realize that absolute truth. So I commend you for that one, my man. And we all know logic is part of our studies as Masons. And I think we could all um, use it a little bit more. You know what I mean? And then it, reason also is there. People don't catch it. They say, well, no, we're taught to study logic. But reason is the actual mythology in which you apply logic right so you can't apply logic without the vehicle called reason and if you go back to the definition of prudence the masonic definition you will find reason and wisdom in that def definition so as masons we are taught to use to use logic and the vehicle that we make lo logic useful is the vehicle called reason thank you all right. Uh, well, thank you all for tuning in and uh, listening to us tonight. Hopefully we put some, put you guys in a different perspective when it comes to this topic about Lucifer, uh, the age of reason and the Illuminati. Illuminati is basically light. The illuminated ones, those people who have, you know, you know, they have a level of understanding of things that we can't comprehend. Um, and have a have a good night. Uh, next episode, we'll be going over some esoteric authors like H.P. Uh, Blavatsky, Manly P. Hall, uh, Samuel Anwar, things like that, and you know, just parlay and talking. You know, say what we think about their works. All right. Good evening. Good evening. Look forward to it, brothers.